just a taste of heaven right there. Amen? Amen? My, God be praised. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of His glory He may grant you to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all of the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of Christ. Amen? Amen. Amen. Welcome to Windsor Road Christian Church. So good to be with you all today here in worship and uh, both in person and online. And may I have some house lights here? I want to see all of your faces here today. There we go. You look great. You look great. Welcome here to the church uh, worship service. My name is Randy, and I'm privileged to be the lead minister here at the church. And very quickly, we want you to just feel at home here in the church gathering. I'm going to be in a place called the Fireside Room through these glass doors to the right. It's kind of our hospitality area. My wife Sarah and I, our elders and staff, will be there. I'd love to have a little bit of FaceTime with you this morning. And, and just if you have any prayer requests or if you have encouragements, we want to hear both. We want to hear both. And let us know you're here uh, through the registration cards that we have or also through the app. So we are in our teaching portion of our worship service, if you're new here at the church, and we have been in a journey through Psalm 23, and we're going to see what Psalm 23 looks like in the life of Christ this morning, but first, you know what's coming if you've been here for the past few weeks, we're going to, uh, we're going to, we've been uh, practicing Psalm 23 from memory, all right? And so what we've done is uh, we've first recited the psalm, and we've got the answers included here, and then, uh, then we take away some of the words, and then there's letters, and then we're just going to do it cold, all right? That's the program. Are you ready? Here we go. Deep breath. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. All right. Let's do it twice now. Let's do it another two more times. Here we go. You ready? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. 
He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He was my soul. Sorry. <laughs> let, me, let me get reset here. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. All right, here we go. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen. Whoa. Nice. Amen. That's good Good word, church family. Good word. And we have been memorizing this because, the, man, the word in us, there's going to be seasons of our lives uh, when we do not have access or we just are physically unable to. And, and so what we're dependent on in those valleys is the word in our hearts and to be able to recite those words throughout the day in the in the peaks and in the valleys of life is just nourishment for our souls and for our hearts and i'll tell you i'll just make this personal for me and it's a quote that i uh just came upon this week from uh pastors whose pulpit i have been studying the, the late E.K. Bailey, he once said this. This is the importance of the Word of God in our hearts and our devotional life. This is what E.K. Bailey said to pastors, all right? He said this, Where there is the absence of a devotional life lies the skeletal remains of an ineffective preacher. Hmm. Man, that cut my heart when I heard that. Where there's the absence of a devotional life lies not the remains, but the skeletal remains of an ineffective preacher. And you can just substitute preacher for, you know, your word. That's how important this is for us to know the word and internalize the word and then, and then live the word. Psalm 23. Now, if Psalm 23 were to put on skin, what would that look like? 
And the answer is Jesus. Jesus. He is the good shepherd. He is the perfect and complete expression of Psalm 23. He's the supreme shepherd. He said so himself. And if you have your Bibles, I'd like for you to meet me in John chapter 10. And our scripture today concerns verses 1 through 21. John chapter 10, verses 1 through 21. And I want you to listen for the imagery of shepherding in John's gospel here. I, I want to tag this message, the nobility of Christ our shepherd. Say that with me. The nobility of Christ our shepherd. John 10. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So again, Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I'm the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must Bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason the Father loves me, because I laid down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up. Again, this charge I have received from my father. There was again a division among the Jews because of these words. Many of them said, he is a demon and is insane. Why listen to him? Others said, these are not the words of one who is oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? This is God's word. 
the nobility of Christ our shepherd. Hmm. So today, as we consider these verses in John's gospel, I just want to answer three questions, and here they are for us. First, why are these verses here? I mean, why here at this point, at this time, in John's gospel? What's the significance of John 10? That's question number one we'll consider. Question number two is this, what do these verses actually say? What, what's the meaning? And then thirdly, what am I supposed to do about this? All right, what's my response? So three questions. Why is this here? What does this say? And what do I need to do about it? That's where we're going this morning. Well, let's first consider the why. Usually, usually you know, when uh, we have messages, sometimes it's a what, so what, now what. This morning, it's so what, what, now what, all right? And, and it's important that we understand the why here. The why, recall that when John wrote this gospel, the chapter and verse divisions that you see here did not exist in the original. And so what that means is that John chapter 10 is actually a continuation of what's going on in John chapter 9. So this episode in which Jesus declares himself to be the good shepherd, uh, he is the shepherd who is confronting the thieves and the robbers over vulnerable sheep. Well, who are the thieves and the robbers and who are the vulnerable sheep? Well, we need to go back to John chapter 9. John chapter 9, verse 1, this miracle of the man who was born blind but was healed by Christ. Chapter 9, verse 1 begins with the disciples and Jesus on a walk, and they pass this man who is born blind, and the disciples, it's almost, it's kind of, I don't, condescending, or, or it's like the, the person doesn't even have personhood. And they're just kind of speculating about this poor individual's plight in front of Jesus, almost as if he can't hear. Lord, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And isn't that often what people assume when they see the misfortune of others? That, oh, they must have done something wrong. Or their parents must have done something wrong. And Jesus responds, that's the wrong question. The right question is, how will this situation bring glory to God in heaven? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, but this happened that the work of God, the glory of God, might be displayed in his life. So there's always an ultimate purpose behind what befalls us, no matter what it is, whether it is success or whether it's failure, whether it's health or whether it's disease. How will God's glory and fame be amplified in this situation? And with that, John's gospel says that Jesus made a mud paste, put it on the man's eyes, told him to go wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent, and he did, and he was healed right there. There at the pool. And so his eyes were open, and people began to wonder, wait a minute, who is this person here? I mean, was this the person who used to sit and beg? No, it just looks like him. They're talking to him, right? Look, it doesn't exist. And the man says, no, it doesn't look like me. It is me. It's me. Well, how is that? You can see. I know. Well, who, who, who is this, and, and where is he? Well, 
I don't know where Jesus is. I was blind when he put mud on my eyes and sent me to the pool. I don't know. But now I can see. Wow. So they take him to the Pharisees, the religious leaders, and, and, and they want an explanation. And he says, well, he put mud on my eyes, and I washed, and now I can see. And note their response. Their response was not, to God be the glory, great things he has done. Their response was not the praise and worship that we just experienced here. Their, their response was, Shabbat, Shabbat. Shabbat! It's Sabbath! No, no work allowed! No, uh, he, he's not of God. How could this be of God? It's Shabbat! It's Shabbat! Oh, oh, oh. Do, you, do you think he's of God? The man said, well, yeah, I, I think he's a prophet. No way, that can't be. Let's talk to your parents. Let's talk to, get your parents here. So they drag his parents in. And then, is this your son? Was he born blind? What do you think about all of this? And, you know, yes, yes, ask him. He's of age. I mean, they were, af they were afraid that they were going to be put out. So they asked the man, they asked, tell us the truth. I have told you the truth. I, I was blind. Now I see. That's my story. Well, how did he do this? Well, I already told you this. You're not listening. Uh, I, do you want to become one of his disciples? Hey, hey. We are disciples of Moses. That's who we are. We don't even know a thing about this man. And the, the, the guy who asks, he says, well, isn't that something? Look at all your education. You don't know where he comes from, and yet he heals me. You say he's a sinner, yet he worked a miracle. All of us here knows that God doesn't respond to sinners, but if someone worships God, God listens. And never before in the history of the world has it ever been heard of that a man born blind has regained his sight. I think he's of God, or else he wouldn't be able to do this, and I think you guys are clueless. Oh, yeah? You're just a sinner. <laughs> nanny, nanny, poo-poo. It's kind of what it says in the Greek. Get out! And they put him out. I mean, they pulled a power play and excommunicated him. And later on, John 9, Jesus found him. Hmm. He said, do you believe in the Son of Man? Hmm. Who is he, Lord, that I may believe? I love this line. Jesus said, you're looking at him. The one who speaks to you is the Messiah. Oh, Lord, I believe. I believe. And then Jesus said, in the hearing of the Pharisees, for judgment I have come into this world to give sight to the blind and to make blind those who see. And it's like the Pharisees, are you saying we're blind? That's exactly what I'm saying. And then Jesus spoke John chapter 10. So John chapter 10 is Jesus' explanation of what happened in John chapter 9. Jesus is rebuking the shoddy shepherding 
of Jerusalem's religious elite. That's what's going on here. And these verses challenge all of us here with this question. Who are you allowing as your shepherd? Do you know who your leader is? So, so the, and the answer is whoever has your attention. Whoever impresses you. Church family, there are other voices attempting to impress you and influence you and shape you. And I would propose that all of these voices, although they're, although they're different voices, they're propagating the same message and it is the false doctrine of what one author has called performanceism. Performanceism. Performanceism is when what we do, not what Christ has done, becomes the end game. Performanceism is establishing your own identity instead of resting in Jesus' all-sufficient work to establish us. Performanceism is another word for legalism, but it has to do with the fact that the spotlight shines on my works, my efforts, my performance, and not the life of Christ. Performanceism. Performanceism distracts us into the delusion of self-shepherding sheep. I can do this all by myself. And one scholar, a scholar by the name of A.W. Pink, wrote these words the great mistake made by people is hoping to discover in themselves that which is to be found in christ alone and 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 here's the deal performanceism leads to despair when we fail but that's not so nearly as bad as when we succeed because when we succeed it leads to pride and there are performancist voices on the internet and everywhere distracting and wooing us. And right now there's a voice calling out to you. And I am so grateful. I make no mistake about this. I am so very grateful for the technology that we've been able to, to access to stay together online these past two years. I'm grateful for the stories of how connected that we have been able to remain. And I'm grateful for the stories of newcomers who have come here after worshiping with us online. Make no mistake about that. I, God be praised for his goodness. Thank you, Jesus. And, and it should not be lost on any of us that virtual connection is fraught with distraction. Right? Let's push the pause button on the pastor's sermon while we can finish our pancakes. Huh? Amen. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and we're just, I mean, you think your mind, you know why I messed up there reciting Psalm 23? It's because my mind wandered. You think your mind wanders when I preach. I'm telling you, there's just distracting voices. And so, so one of the benefits of us gathering in person is that we, we're able to limit those distractions, I think at least comparatively, than when we're not together. Because we're focusing together with 
Christ. And there are distracting voices who want you to make room in your heart for more than Christ. And those voices are not really for your best interest. They're in it for their best interest. And here's the deal. The false shepherds, the wolves, and the thieves, and the robbers, it's not like they were dressed like mafia gangsters. What were they dressed like? Clergy. It's clear, isn't it, that those Pharisees and religious legalists did not care about that man's well-being. They were more uptight about their legalistic Sabbath-keeping regulations than the inbreaking of the kingdom of God. And so Jesus responds. He wants our attention. And that takes us to the heart of this passage. The, the what? The so what is that Jesus is rebuking the shoddy shepherding of Jerusalem's, Israel, uh, uh, Jerusalem's religious elite. The big idea, the what, is, is simply this. And here it is. I'll, I'll put it this way. Jesus... The noble shepherd is the only portal to God and the only provision from God. Follow him. That's the big idea there. And, and so John 10, 1 through 18 can be divided into two sections here. And the first section is that Jesus tells a story. He tells a parable. That's verses 1 through 6. And then in verses 7 through 18, why he explains the story. And then 19 to 21, he calls the question. He calls the question. First, he tells the story. Jesus is not just being poetic when he says, truly, truly, I say to you, truly, truly. When, when that, that, that word is, we, we say it every time we close in prayer, amen. Amen, amen. What does that mean? It means, so be it, so be it. Uh, it when we say it, it's, it comes as a part of our prayer, God may this be. But when God says, amen, amen, it's a statement of reality. This is going to happen. It means that what follows is certain. It's certain. This, this is the word of the Lord. And so Jesus tells this story about a small village that has a community sheep pen. And family flocks keep their sheep in this pen at night, and there's a gatekeeper, which means there's an authorized access and an unauthorized access. And authorized access is through the gate. Unauthorized access is over the fence. Back then, the flocks would gather into one pen. Several flocks, they would come in. And uh, each morning, you know, we'd go, well, how, how are they going to get sorted out? Good question. The gate would open and the various shepherds would fan out and each shepherd had a distinct call in a distinct timbre of voice. And the sheep would hear the voice and follow. That's what's behind verse 4. The sheep follow him for they know his voice. But a stranger, verse 5, they will not follow. They will flee from him. So can you see verses 1 through 6 in light of what we know in chapter 9? The Pharisees were speaking, but the man did not listen because the Pharisees were more interested in self-righteous performanceism than God-glorifying shepherd leadership. And they thought they were being orthodox by purging the man whose life had been changed by God's Son. 
And yet, even in verses 1 through 6, the Pharisees didn't grasp the full import of Jesus' words. They saw the miracle. They couldn't deny the reality. But their unbelief blinds them. Unbelief blinds us. So in verses 7 through 18, Jesus explains the parable. And once again, he starts with these, phrase, these, these words, truly, truly, amen, amen. What I'm about to tell you is reality, so says God's Son. I am the door of the sheep, and all who came before me are thieves and robbers. He's talking about the Pharisees. I am the door. He says it twice. And they came to take life. I've come that they might have life. And not to, we want to live, don't we? But we don't want to just be, we want to live abundantly. And that Jesus is the door, church family, means this. He is the portal to pasture. The portal to pasture. He and he alone is the gate, the entrance, the door to spiritual freedom and movement and space. There, there is and never has been access to God except through Jesus. He is the access point to God. So in no way do these verses teach that a bunch of shepherding options exist. And you just choose whichever one you want as long as you're sincere. Jesus sets the scene by saying there is such thing as absolute objective truth that exists independently outside of people. That's why verse 16 says one flock, look, one shepherd. One flock, one shepherd. And that's why in the very next chapter, in John chapter 11, verses 25 and 26, Jesus would say, I am the resurrection and the life. And whoever believes in me, though he died, yet shall he live, and everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. And that's why Jesus says in John 14, 6, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And the apostles did not, did not misunderstand him because did they not repeat in Acts chapter 4, verse 12? Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name given unto men under heaven by which we must be saved. He is the portal. He's the portal. Now some might say, well, why should I believe that? And that's a, that's a good question. He's the portal because he is the provision. Jesus is the portal. Jesus is the provision. And that's what's behind verse 11. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd. Now, it's not like, oh, that was a good cup of coffee. Now, think a little deeper than that. The good is a level of excellence. The good is a level of quality. The good is a level of nobility. There it is. The nobility of Jesus, our shepherd. He's a shepherd like no other. He's a shepherd par excellence. He's the noble shepherd because he will lay down his life for the sheep. Hired hands won't do that. You can go into a store and you can see the difference. You can between the owner and those on staff who aren't owners. Okay? I mean, that's what this says. 
there's the shepherd, and then there's the hired hands. I mean, it's just, the the hired hands are going to run at first danger. But the good shepherd is invested. (laughs) The good shepherd has a different kind of sleep. (laughs) See, The good shepherd will fight off the wolves. The good shepherd won't throw one of the lambs to the wolves just to save the rest of the flock. The good shepherd, the noble shepherd, he knows his sheep by name. You need never wear a name tag for Jesus. He knows you. He knows your story. He knows your life. And as deeply as God the Father knows Jesus, and Jesus knows the Father, Jesus knows us. And he says, I will lay down my life for the sheep. Jesus is declaring and committing his love for us. But think with me for just a moment. What a remarkable statement this is because how will the sheep be shepherded? How will the sheep be shepherded if the shepherd dies? How, how's that going to work? And this is the mystery of the gospel, church family. See, death threatens the world. I mean, death threatens us. But Jesus' death brings life to the world. Normally, the prospect of a dead shepherd would not hold much promise for the flock any more than a dead king would the king's kingdom. But in this case, the death of the shepherd is the very means by which his work of protecting the lives of the sheep is accomplished. Because he is the good shepherd, the noble shepherd. He gives his life so that the sheep may live. And Jesus sacrifices himself not as a passive recipient, but as an initiator. He's not the kind of shepherd who accidentally falls to sheep and uh, uh, to thieves and wolves by trying to, de- to defend the sheep. There's no accident here is what I'm saying. Death is not something that the shepherd might face. Death is the very thing he must face, and he did so voluntarily. And that's what makes this shepherd a noble shepherd and his shepherding so mysterious and remarkable. His death is the means by which our lives are saved. For this shepherd does not carry a wooden staff. He carries a wooden cross. And the food and the drink that these sheep receive from the shepherd is not going to be found in a green pasture. It's going to be found in his body and blood. Jesus is fulfilling what God has promised through the prophets long ago. I will save my flock. And this salvation is only made possible at the cross because the cross is the only way by which our sins, our evil, may be blotted out and canceled and destroyed. And and here is just what I have to say. If you do not believe in the notion of sin or evil, Christianity is not going to make any sense to you at all. And I don't see how, I don't see how these days we can't figure out the notion of evil. So the question then becomes, how will evil be defeated? And what Christianity claims is that there is a shepherd 
who came into this world from the heights of heaven you came we just sang that didn't we christ disarmed the devil by his substitutionary death for us he laid down his life for us not as a victim verse 18 says no one takes it from me I lay it down, and I have the authority to take it up again. What a remarkable statement. Who says that? Who's, I have the authority to lay my life down, and I have the authority. I don't have the authority to take my life up. I can't do that. Can you do that? Can you call yourself back from the dead? I'll worship you if you can do that. But that's the, that's the point, though, isn't it? He who rises from the dead gets to be in charge. And that's what's going on here. Jesus is sacrificing himself for the sheep. His death is giving them life. And not just for us, but for the nations. Verse 16 is a declaration of God's multinational, multi-ethnic flock. I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them in also, and they will listen to my voice. Don't you see? So the Romans are not the enemy. The Gentiles aren't the enemy. You have one enemy, and that is the devil. And Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection defang the devil. And his death, burial, and resurrection were no accident. He's no victim. The Romans didn't take his life. Pilate didn't take his life. Judas didn't take his life. The Pharisees didn't take his life. He gave his life. Why? So that there could be one flock. One flock. And listen, it goes even deeper than this. Verse 18. This charge, this charge I have received from my Father. You see that? What's that mean? It means that God the Father did not stand helplessly by while his only son was ravaged by the wolves on the cross. That's not what this says. This says that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the shepherd, gave himself for us by the will of his Father in heaven. God the Father did not say, I don't want you to do this, son, but I'll support you. That's not what he says. He says that God the Father sent him sent him jesus came as one who was sent why 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 would he do this there it's that old verse i hope you have it by heart you, re, you, you recite it with me if you know it while i say it john three sixteen. for god so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whosoever might believe in him shall not perish but have everlasting life you got it love motivated god Love led God to send his son. Love drove Jesus to the cross. Love caused Jesus to lay down his life for us. We worship the good shepherd who willingly suffered and died for us so that every tongue and tribe and nation can gather. The voice of Christ is going out. His sheep hear his voice. Are you listening? Is there any other leader you need to be following? Huh? Do you want to hear what he has to say? Now, see, some of us are willing to hear Jesus if we agree with Jesus. And so, you know, then the moment something happens in his life that we don't agree with, then we're not so sure. 
Jesus said, I'm the door. You may want your door to look like something, but <laughs> this is the door. This is the door. You don't get to choose how you want your door to look. You just get to choose whether or not you're going to listen and hear and heed the voice of the chief shepherd. Because the door is this. Life in Christ, suffering for Christ, death and resurrection by Christ. Life in Christ, suffering for Christ, death and resurrection by Christ. That's the plan. That's the plan. Now what? Well, verses 19 to 21. Hmm. There was division. Of course there is. Of course there is. And, and, and so, you know, John finishes this section, and it's as if these verses are staring back at us, saying, What's your choice? Will you follow him or not? The Pharisees and the religious legalists have made their decision. The man who was healed in chapter 9, he made his decision. Now it's your turn. Who are you in this story? So the lesson is this. You will not recognize the voice of Christ if you don't read and heed the word of Christ. Who are you following? What voices are you going after? Where do you seek shelter? There's always going to be false shepherds this side of heaven. But when you have the word in your heart, and when it's in your life, it's, it's like a radar detection system. You have the word of God as a test of truth. I'm telling you, where there is the absence of a devotional life, lies the skeletal remains of an ineffective preacher. But where there is Christ, where there's one shepherd, where there's one flock, there is joy. Church family, Jesus is the good shepherd. Choose him. Amen.